Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Growth Hacking Show for business coaches and consultants. This is a podcast for you to discover new business growth campaigns directly from the trenches. I am Ed Rich and I interview business thinkers and thought leaders about their successes, failures and business. And most importantly, what's working now in their business. Hey everyone, this is Ed with another exciting episode with Gina Gardiner. Hi Gina. Hello there, how are you? Welcome, welcome. Gina is the author of a book called Thriving and a couple of other books as well. And today we are going to discuss all about uh, uh, like her journey on, and the concepts of the book. So uh, Gina, just briefly for people who are discover- discovering you for the first time, tell us about yourself. Um, I live in the UK. Um, and for 21 years, I was the head teacher or principal of a large, I think junior high would be the um, American equivalent school. Um, and the school was extremely successful. I think where it stands out is that I ran my school for the most part from a wheelchair. Um, I was appointed to be the deputy very early and I was the deputy for a year. I was appointed to be the catalyst for change. In the February, I went skiing and I had a very significant ski accident. I fell about 150, 200 feet down the mountain. Whoa. Um, at the time, um, I thought I'd got away with um, concussion and, and trapping a nerve in my neck. But when I went skiing again five weeks later with uh, the borough school party, so 150 uh, children, um, as the week went on, I got more and more um, like Quasimodo. And on the final night, I said to my colleagues, I've got to go to bed. And I made my way to bed and then suddenly found that I was paralyzed down one side. And that was terrifying. I didn't want to... Um, frighten the children, so I had to wait till somebody came to see how I was. Now, um, I recovered and I got back to school, um, never quite the same, um, and I managed to limp to the school summer holidays. I got a phone call in the middle of the holidays to say that my then principal or head teacher had suddenly died in their sleep, and I had become the head. So I was acting head for a term, and then I became the permanent head, um, and I was determined that the school would do well. Now, as time went on, I had other complications. I had um, a ruptured a disc sneezing and I had failed back surgery. And although I'd used a wheelchair to get round the site before that, I'd been able to walk in the classrooms in my office. But by when that happened, I became wheelchair bound. It took me two years to walk to the bottom of my very small garden and then three months later, I was sick and I ruptured another disc um, and I had failed back surgery syndrome and I was completely wheelchair bound. So here was I, I wanted the school to do well. I, I wanted everybody within the organisation to have an opportunity to have an excellent learning experience, whether we're talking about the children or the staff. And I was determined that um, the school was going to do well. But the problem was I couldn't physically get into my classrooms. My wheelchair wouldn't go through the, through the door of the classroom. So the gift in all of this, and there has been an enormous gift in the disability, was that 
I had to find a way of empowering people that did not require me standing behind them saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. That it was successful can be seen by the fact that the school was on the best 100 schools in England twice during my tenure. I'm very proud of that. But um, my health was deteriorating. I was doing all sorts of things outside school to bring an income into school because we had a bad budget. Um, and so I worked for the DAPS, that's the government as an advisor. I was a trainer facilitator for the National College and the London Institute. Um, I worked as a, a, an inspector, not all at the same time, but over the time that I was at the school. So in 2004, I was given an ultimatum by um, the consultant neurologist who I'd been with for over 20 years. And he said, if you don't stop what you're doing, um, you will find yourself housebound within about 18 months. Wow. So my choice was... I can carry on what I'm doing, and I loved what I did, and Peyton Lee was successful at what I did, um, or I could bite the bullet and leave. So I made the very difficult decision to leave, and at that time, I couldn't walk um, at all. Um, but about the time I left, I also had a spinal stimulator fitted, which meant that I learned, I could start to learn to walk again, and now I can walk short distances, but it, the, just the, the progress has been very slow. But the gift was that I had developed um, a way of empowering people that was enabling them to recognize that, that if they're being genuinely their best selves, that they can step into their power and that they can not only lead their own lives very effectively but, and more happily and more successfully, but they can also support other people to do the same. And that's become the bedrock of everything that I do. So I want you to imagine it's 2000 and, well, it's early 2005. I was very ill after I had the spinal stimulator fitted and um, I had retired in late October. And so it was really the beginning of 2005 when I thought, well, what am I going to do now? I've got all of this experience, all of these skills. Daytime television doesn't do it for me. What am I going to do? And so that's where my first, um, my first brush with creating, um, writing books came. Because what I decided was, I'd always been a life coach. I'd done that for years alongside my work. But I, I felt that the leadership work that I had, um, had developed within my own school, which was seen as exemplary, um, by Ofsted and by investors and people, innovative, you know, and, and something that was a really successful model. My view was if it was successful in schools, and by this time as a beacon school, we I'd worked with dozens and dozens of other organizations and hundreds and hundreds of teachers, then I think it would work in business. So what I did is I took myself off to do a research project, and the research project was to look at leadership at two levels, emerging leadership, you know, people going into the world of work and becoming professional grown-ups. And my school was unusual in that we had a license to train teachers with no reference to a, um, a, a university. So if they'd got their degree, we did a postgraduate one-year apprenticeship, if you like. Um, and so we help people be the professional grown-ups quickly. 
And then how do you develop middle leaders into senior leaders? So my research project took me across industries, manufacturing, retail, finance, health, local government, a whole range. And that's when I wrote my first two books. Kickstart Your Career, which is for people leaving the world of education and going into the professional world of work. How to be that professional grown-up, how to, how to get there more quickly than if you just do it through experience. And the second book, How to Manage Your Staff More Effectively, um, and that was about how you, you, you grew leadership throughout your organisation and did that effectively um, and in a way that was with integrity, compassion and with care. That became my credibility because at that time in the UK particularly, people would dismiss schools as what do you know about business? But the reality was that my budget was a million and three quarter pounds. I employed a hundred staff and I effectively had to run a business and it had to, um, it had to operate within that budget. All of the decisions were made by me and my staff um, whether it was about site or, or about um, the curriculum or, and so on. Um, and so in order to have that credibility, I needed something which would translate my skill set from education into, into the world of, of the corporates and to, of business. And so for me, that, those two books became actually very expensive calling cards uh, because when people looked at those books, they, I had stripped out the educational jargon, but what was left was simple, jargon-free um, principles and strategies that I knew worked. And they have continued to work in businesses, whether they're you know, small or large, the principles are actually the same. The delivery might be different. And so that was my first brush with writing books. And for me, it wasn't about um, making money, or, although they were available on, on um, Amazon and other good uh, bookstores. For me, that was, I know what I'm talking about. I am an expert in my field. I've got something to offer you, and here's my proof. Um, so then fast forward, um, I... Between 2006 and 2009, all of my work was with corporates. And in 2009, in the first week in January, I had three contracts which would have kept me going full time until August. Within a week, because of the recession, I had no contracts. And so I had to reinvent myself. And at that time, I was work, I've always, I, work, I am a coach, but I practice what I preach, and I always, been, I always work with a coach. And they, we were talking about, you know, what was my next step? And I had um, again decided to, to work with uh, smaller businesses in terms of strategic development. I'd done some work through a university um, where I'd been commissioned to go and work with, with um, medium-sized organisations. Uh, and so I decided to do that on my own and to work with them. But talking to my coach, you asked me a question which I found really quite difficult to answer. And that was, well, what's your unique identifier? And I thought about it and, you know, well, I'm good at what I do. No, that wasn't it. And she said, it's interesting. You never talk about your disability. Um, it's a bit like the, the elephant in the room. 
I think you ought to write a book about your approach to life and how, despite very significant disabilities, you have managed to um, to succeed at, you know, on a, a par with able-bodied people. I found that quite hard because for me, disability is one of those things that, you know, uh, people diss their abilities. So you might think I'm not rich enough, I'm not clever enough, I'm too young, too old, too fat, too tall. But at least with my disability, my legs don't work very well, but I can get into my wheelchair and I can wheel away. So I thought about it and I decided to write my next book. And that was called Chariots on Fire. And Chariots on Fire is an allusion to the fact that my electric wheelchair is only ever on fast. I don't do things slowly. And so I wrote the book and you, uh, the published book is actually the third iteration. Initially, I wrote the book and it was cathartic. It was an opportunity to write about all of the things that had gone wrong. At that time, since, 2000, uh, in, since I'd had the ski accident, I'd spent the equivalent of two and a half years in hospital. And wow. there had been all sorts of things gone wrong. And it hadn't been in one block. It had been you know, six weeks here, eight weeks there. Because whatever they did went wrong. Um, and it was a very cathartic experience. But when I read it back, I thought, what use is this to somebody else other than it might want to make them want to slit their throat because it's depressing? <laughs> um, and so I rewrote the book and I then thought, well, actually, by itself, the story is missing something. How about if I unpick the principles by which I lived? Things like, you know, if you focus on what you can't do, it's very limited. But if you focus on what you can do, then you'll be amazed at what you can achieve. So just a small example is after uh, the back operations where I couldn't stand, if I was at home, I couldn't make a cup of tea or coffee unless somebody had filled the kettle, given, put the cup down and put the coffee in the cup. I was back at work part time four days after coming out of hospital, and I'd been in hospital for eight weeks. Why? Because my brain worked, my mouth worked, my hands worked. And so I could go into school and operate effectively, whereas at home I was very, very limited. And so what I did is I, I put together what I believed were my principles, the, the, the strategies that I used to live a, 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 a positive life, despite all of the challenges. And so Chariots on Fire was born, and that became really a, an opportunity to just to, to own um, my own uh, development, and that was put on um, on the bookshelves. And what I discovered was that writing the book is actually the easy bit, but getting the book out there, getting the book known, um, is is much more of a challenge. Um, but ultimately, that became an international number one bestseller, which I'm very thrilled about. But it took a lot of work to get it to that place. What has also been happening is that I had a, a real, um, I have got a very strong sense of purpose. My purpose is about supporting and helping people to stand in their own power, to feel um, that they can achieve happiness, success and fulfillment. And I, we I was by this time working with a guy who was helping me develop my new business, which is running alongside the old one called Genuinely You, which was the idea was to get at more people 
um, by using the internet, by um, by you know looking much further than my uh, my locality, because for nine years I didn't have to market me. I got all of the work I ever needed through recommendation. People would approach me and say, "Would you work with me?" And of course, the answer was yes, happily. So I then started to think about how can I encapsulate my the growth in terms of my thinking because of course you're constantly developing and I wanted to to have a holistic approach because what I recognized is whoever I worked with whether it was a business client or a personal client they came through five strands self-belief or their beliefs about the world their relationship their how they managed and um, how they utilized change in their lives, whether they feared it or they embraced it, um, whether their whole issue of what they saw as success and how they achieved it, and finally, when things were going well, you know, is this it? Where's my purpose? What's my legacy going to be? How do I achieve true fulfillment? And so I wrote the latest book, which is uh, thriving, not surviving, the five secret pathways to happiness, success and fulfillment. And those are the five pathways that everybody came to me. And so that book was born. And out of that, there's sort of been subsidiary. So I've just published this week a book which is a, a happiness challenge, which is just focusing on one aspect um, and giving people you know, seven days, some, a different strategy every day. Uh, and there's also a themed journal in that, which is also part of the, the thriving, not surviving stable, if you like. Created a membership um, platform and a membership group, founder of the Thriving, uh, the Thrive Together Tribe, which is a, a whole membership group, and a, a, a personal spiritual development program, which goes along with that, and just finished a leadership program, which incorporates the personal spiritual development, but looks at enlightened leadership. The quality of leadership, I think, is pretty poor at the moment. And this is about how do you become an enlightened leader who can lead with integrity, who can have the skill set, but actually recognize that they need to do the deep work on themselves. Because you can't be a great leader unless you do the work on yourself. You've got to lead yourself first. So if I'm not wrong, you're a leadership coach. Yes. Um, for me, it's all about leading yourself and your life but also leading other people. You can't lead other people unless you lead you. Yeah. So I call myself an empowerment coach, but for me, leadership is such an important part of empowerment. So I'll go a step back and um, coming back to the story uh, where you were experiencing the, the disability for the first time and you also had a school to manage. Yeah. And apparently you did very well with the school. Uh, so I, I'm curious to know how was your personal life was like or how were you feeling internally um, managing the school, which is not an easy task, managing the school and not only managing it, like crushing it and dealing with the fact that this may be uh, like maybe some of your best memories was the last time you were able to walk um, and still trying to digest that. 
I think yeah. it's one of those things that it it's not a one thing and it's not a you know it it's day by day things would shift for me the school and running the school in a sense was was my salvation because it was something that I felt was had huge purpose and I loved to do um I got huge satisfaction from watching you know, a child or a member of staff develop um, and grow. And um, for me, the dealing with the negative stuff was when I got home in the holidays at the weekends when, you know, if I was at school, I didn't feel disabled at all. But once I was home, then the reality of what I couldn't do was something that would be hard. But Perhaps because of my upbringing, my upbringing was, you know, if things get tough, then you know, focus on something that you can do. Focus on doing something for somebody else. You know, um, things might not be very good for you, but, but actually, how are you going to make lemonade out of these lemons? Now, that doesn't mean to say there weren't days when there were tears and I railed against, you know, um, this happening. But I didn't stay there long, and I think that's the important thing, you know, not to bury those emotions. I think lots of people bury them, but they almost act like a dragon in a box that, you know, you let the box open and the dragon leaps out. But by dealing with those as they come and just recognising it was pretty grim at times, particularly after the second back operation, you know, here we go again. I I just thought I'd managed to walk. and. And now I'm worse off than I was before. At least I could stand like a stork before. Now I couldn't actually stand up at all, unaided to start with. Um, and so it was a deliberate ploy to focus on what I could do, to actually sit down. And I, I can remember on one, you know, early on, sitting down and saying, I need to do something differently. If this is a precipice, I could go down this deep, dark pit and stay there. But that's not where I want to be. I'm choosing to do something different. And everything we do is a choice. Even not choosing is a choice. So how was how would you how did you feel on the day you decided to walk out of the school when your um, consultant told you that you cannot do that anymore and you were like I want to continue doing this I think when he first said it I almost didn't believe it because he'd been saying for years you know we ought to think about you retiring and I just said oh ho ho uh, but this time he said you know there is no moving away from this I need you to hear it um, and I think to start with it was shock and then how do I tell my staff how do I, um, how do I approach that? And then the thought, what the hell am I going to do? And when I left Headship, and it, 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 the way it worked is I had planned, um, I thought when I, I applied for uh, retirement, normally it takes months in the UK. I got a letter by return of post saying that I was retired. I negotiated with them that I could have a month to go in and tell everybody. But as it happened, because I had the spinal stimulator, I was supposed to be in hospital two days. I ended up being in hospital eight weeks. That by the time I came out, I was already retired. And I have to say, that was incredibly difficult. I moved from being um, 
a successful, um, experienced head teacher who um, was chairman of, of this and you know, I was a mover and shaker within our local authority to being, and actually what happened was I felt as if I was a teenager again. Yeah, That's to me, it, was, it, it, it feels like completely the, work, the work gave you a mission to to do something, create the impact, and it was suddenly taken away. Yeah. And for me, I think that, that what's happened over the years is I've recognized that that mission was preparation for a bigger mission, which is what I've embarked upon now. And most people my age would be retiring. But actually, I'm gearing up for this, and I believe that my life work has all been in preparation for this and I have a mission which for some would seem foolish but my mission is to positively impact on a million people in the next five years wow one on one but if I impact on you you will impact on the people that you know and they will impact on the people they know yeah I find this fascinating you know before this interview it was me who was talking all the time and I like and we are 24 minutes in the interview and you probably have heard only two questions <laughs> because I was just so fascinated by your story um, that I don't didn't want it to interrupt. It was so good. Um, I have one more question for you. Um, now that you are a coach and you have been through traditional schooling, um, educational uh, environment and a system, what do you feel the role of coaches on the future of humanity? I'd like to find a different name, okay, to coach, because I think so often it's been devalued. But I think the principle of coaching is if you hold the space for someone and you truly are interested in them and helping them um, be the best they can be by encouraging, by challenging, by making them think and giving them a, a, the opportunity to have a different perspective on the situation or on life, on holding them accountable, then performance improves. And that is universal, whether you're talking about sport or business or music or anything. Because having somebody who is our champion and expects much of us, but does that in a non-judgmental way, and that's really important, that truly wants the best for that person and is going to, whether it, they need their hand holding and some support to gain more confidence or they need their bottom kicking to say come on you can do it get on with it then I think that having somebody in your corner who can do that with you and for you is really precious it's something that enables you to step up to the next you know go into the next gear to the next level much more quickly and I think that for me is is it's doing things in a, a supported way which allows people to fly and allows them to, to do that, to deal with any past baggage which is holding them back, but actually to enjoy the moment, to really enjoy the present and to be present and to prioritise, to know what their core values are, to be able to live by those core values. And in doing so, 
you become a physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually healthier, and then able to see what's your purpose. How are you going to fulfill that? What legacy are you going to leave? What living legacy are you creating by the words you speak, the words you leave it unsaid, the actions you take, the actions you don't take, or the way in which you do it? And I think a good coach, and I would qualify that, a good coach is capable of taking you to places that you would never believe that you could do without. Um I'm tempted to ask you something um, because it's not common that I'm, I'm talking to the head teacher of a school every now and then. Um, and and I don't know if you've read the book Fourth Industrial Revolution. Say that again. Fourth Industrial Revolution. No, I haven't. Okay, so it's just a futuristic or futurist book. Um, mm -hmm. And the concept we are looking at is not only that, combine it with Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari uh, and, and a couple of others. Yep. The concept is that no matter what we study in our profession for to get ready for professions in our education system, in our lifetime, we will touch a point where it will be completely irrelevant. And thanks to the technological development and the speed with which it's accelerating, this development now keeping that fact in mind i have a belief that in the future and in fact in a near future we don't need teachers we need coaches how much do you feel that this is nearer to because you have seen teachers from such a close place and 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 we have seen teachers from a completely different angle would love to see your view on that what do you think i think good teachers are great coaches and i think that early on the skill set of the you know the basics being able to read being able to write you know that you know, having somebody show you how you can find information and so on i think that's probably in in essence teaching but actually a good teacher is actually um, encouraging children to learn and find their way of learning and it's coaching basically thing. that's what coaching is yeah and so for me I don't make the differentiation and that I think is why the, the school was so successful was because we had that approach listen you are you may be you know, young, but actually within the, the constraints of your capacity to um, at, at this moment, we're going to encourage you to take responsibility for your learning and we're going to support you and we will um, be chivying you and reminding you and, and expecting a lot of you. But I would say that, that the best teachers are great coaches and great coaches have the capacity to is teach the right word, I'm not sure, but to enable, to facilitate people to take responsibility for their own growth and learning. For me, it's a lifelong thing. I don't think you're ever finished. It's a, a lifelong journey. So I don't have a problem with your point of view at all. In fact, I think it's very much in line with my own. Right. So uh, another point 
um, to add to that is how many teachers you know personally who went into the profession thinking of being the coach like you know uh, or because most of the teachers I know like they just uh, more like um, manager of herds of kids or um, just like follow the structured curriculum and they're done uh, teach them and they're done I mean I literally in my engineering college had teachers who will bring out notes will read the notes dictate the notes literally dictate the notes and you have to yeah exactly but but universities employ them and they're reputed universities um you know so things like that happened but but again yeah coming back to the thing that i i believe that people like you yourself that what you're doing are actually going to are helping people who raise their hand that i want to solve this problem Mm-hmm. And I need hand-holding or I need somebody to watch me over. And would watch you join me? me? Or you whatever. Know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just going yeah. back to the education system for a minute. I, I, when I first became a teacher, I thought it was the best job in the world. I'm very sad. I think the education system's broken. I, I'm pleased I'm not part of it anymore. Yeah. I did in my MBA research um, as, as one of my project before that it was just like yeah it's a because i came from india it was a foreign yeah. school and they're yeah. generally they're supposed to be better than ours and because in india education system was laid out by british so they're supposed to be more advanced than us i realized in that study that the last time the system was updated was 1985 yeah and after that all the money that has gone in the system was actually gone in just the infrastructure because that's what get people votes Please. <laughs> uh, One of the challenges, I think, has been that it's become very politicized. In my last year of headship, there were 460 statutory changes. Now, 460. Of those, if you said to me, how many of those actually were there to improve the education of the children? And I would say to you, none. Not one of them had a positive impact on the quality of children's education. And we could get into a a debate for as long as you like, but what concerns me is education for me should be teaching people how to learn. And understanding, because we all learn in different ways, your preferred way of learning is going to be different to mine, but giving youngsters confidence, self-belief, resilience, the capacity to work as a team. Or, you know, education is so much more than just content and knowledge. And I think the opportunity for youngsters to to develop their interests, whether they're creative, music, art, drama, to be able to write, to be able to debate and understand yeah, that I don't have to be with you. Yeah, I, I, just, I, I mostly learn from debates. Yeah. Yeah. Um, take take it away and I will not learn. <laughs> but I also think we've got to teach people that being right isn't necessarily the best thing. Because if you're right, you're making somebody else wrong. And it right. is about how do we negotiate? How do we find ways of, of cooperating and working together? And I think that's that should be the role of a school. And I'd like to think that one of the reasons that um, my school was so successful is because those were the principles on which it was won. Right. 
Yeah. So uh, let's talk about connecting all this together. What yeah. it is that you're helping people with right now as a coach? Okay. Well, as I've said to you, the reason for re re um, writing Thriving Not Surviving the Five Secret Pathways was that people come to me for a variety of reasons. So I work with individuals and very often that's around that they're depressed or they're anxious or they want promotion and they want to um, to get themselves ready for promotion or they've got problems with relationships or um, they need to deal with abuse or stuff that's happened in the past. And so I deal with a whole plethora of things with, with individuals. With, uh, with um, leadership, I work with companies to help them be more profitable, more greater production, better relationships, better work-life balance by helping them strategically develop their people, develop themselves and develop others. And so, you know, it, it may look very different, but effectively, whether they're the business route or the individual route, it comes down to your, how you operate as an individual. And so, you know, a business is a collection of individuals and it's how they mesh together and how they get on. Um, and so I help people lead their own lives to be the arbiter of their own lives and then to work effectively, whether it's with their personal relationships or the professional relationships and help them bring harmony to those. I help people be the best they can be. Yeah, this is amazing. I can see that you've been featured on plethora of uh, very reputable places, NBC, ABC, BBC Radio, Reader's Digest, Wall Street Journal. Amazing. Um, so let's talk about your book. How was your experience of um, getting a business from the book? Okay, Thriving Not Surviving is used in a very different way to the previous books. Um, it's um, First of all, we got it to international bestseller status first, and I think that was quite important in that, again, it gives the book credibility. The, the book has been used, if you like, as a hook, and so people can get a free digital download of the book, um, and they can get that from the website, which is genuinely-u.com. And so what I wanted was for people to know what I'm about, and so quite deliberately the book has been was written and has been used in that way because the publishers of chariots wouldn't let me use it in that way and also my thinking had gone on we're also using it again um, as a because on the internet I was unknown um, I am known by the people I work with um, and have worked with over the last you know couple of decades three decades but on the internet, and particularly internationally, who, who is this woman? And so I needed a way of people, if you read the book and that resonates with you, that that's about developing trust. And so the book now, um, it's available as a paperback, a hardback, an audio, um, making it accessible to as many people as possible. But the book, if you like, is the gateway in. The book is the way that people who've never met me, who've never heard me talk, because I do a lot of motivational speaking, but if they haven't heard that, they would have no understanding of what I'm about. And the marketplace is full of white noise, isn't it? 
people who say, I can do this, and, you know, I'm wonderful. For me, my integrity is hugely important, and what I am offering, I know works, because I've used it with thousands of people, I've used it with dozens of organizations. So I needed a way of opening the door to people who didn't know me, and the book, I think, is a perfect way of doing that. I also find the idea of um, the happiness challenge a little bit fascinating. Um, it's a very smart move. Uh, how did you come across this idea and how is it helping you? Um, I'm working with a, a coach um, who's helped me with the technical stuff. I have to say I've been out of my comfort zone the last couple of years hugely. Um, and initially it was a, a Facebook Live challenge. Um, to start with, I was quite resistant to doing Facebook Lives. Um, talking to somebody where I can bounce off that person, I find incredibly easy. It's what I do. But talking to a camera when there's nobody there, I found quite challenging. And so I was asked to do um, a challenge, seven days, um, looking at how could people increase their levels of happiness um, and achieve those levels of happiness more consistently. So I did the Facebook Live, and then, um, and that was a few months ago, and then John, who's the coach I'm working with, said, you know what, I think it would make a really good book. Let's do a transcription, um, and let's create a mini book, and let's make that the first of several, because you could do them on confidence and resilience and success and a whole range of things. Um, I've learned a lot because the next time I will do this script, I'll then do the lives. I won't necessarily use the script, but I, I'll have the shape um, because the style that you use when you do a Facebook Live and the style when you write is somewhat different. So it's taken me longer to sort the transcripts out into a format that would work in a book than it would have done if I'd done it the other way around. Um, but the 30-day journal is part of the Thriving Not Surviving program. And I felt that journaling is something that people often find works really well for them. And so we put them together as a book. As I say, it's just been published this week. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Awesome. So uh, where do you go from? Where do we go from here? How do people find you online? Right. If you go to the website, which is genuinely then the hyphen and then the word you.com, um, you will find huge bank of, of materials. You'll also have, find access to the one-on-one -on -one coaching program that I do and the leadership program. We're actually looking for people to join us on a pilot at the moment. So if any of your uh, viewers or listeners are interested, if they could contact me through the website, that would be fabulous. Um, and also we're going to be looking for affiliates, so you can, you'll find affiliates uh, opportunities on the website. They're not quite there yet, if you just email me. Facebook, um, if you go to the Genuinely You group and ask to join, then you can join that. If you're interested in being part of the membership group of the Thrive Tribe, then you can look at that through the website again. So genuinely-you.com and you'll find all sorts there. Wow, how big is your team? It's a lot of stuff going on. I've got John and his technical team, um, and they do all of the creation of the websites. They do the sales funnels. They do all of 
that sort of stuff and they've been creating the membership site and he calls on all sorts of people awesome. and then I have two people who work with me um, and in terms of, of in the UK um, and, I have, and my two angels who work with me um, and they support me in terms of again helping with technology and also with the admin and so on. Yeah I think that's the way to go um... And, and it's really interesting how you're managing the whole launch and books and the content and stuff. So, guys, um, check out Gina. And, Gina, thank you very much. Uh, just before we go, reminder for the audience, don't forget to go to booksmind.com and get the toolkit. Sign up for the toolkit. We have a training coming up in the toolkit with Gina. I'll see you there.